Well, happy Easter. It is a joy to be with you. It was a year ago that uh, we wondered how long would this pandemic thing last, and maybe it'll be a couple weeks, so let's film uh, Easter service. So last year we, quote, canceled Easter, and we uh, filmed the whole service and, and, and gathered together in our homes on our own and worshiped. But Man, what a joy it is this Easter Sunday to gather with you in person, uh, two services and online. Uh, it's a joy to be with you. Our God is faithful, our God is good, and He has resurrected His Son, and it seems as though He is bringing a new resurrection in this season. It's a great joy to worship with you heading into the spring together. Let me pray for us as we get into the scripture this morning. Father, open our eyes that we would see your son, trust in him, cling to him, live our lives for him. Help us see in our minds, in our hearts, and then live our lives in response to the great historic work you have done in your son's life, death, and resurrection. We are so grateful to worship you this morning, Father, in the hope of your resurrected Son, in the power of your Spirit as we wait for your Son's return when he will make all things new. God, meet us this morning, we pray. Would we leave differently than when we came this morning? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I cringe at the term blind faith. Don't you? Blind faith. You know, uh, if you're uh, a Christian, you think, my faith isn't blind. I, I didn't just haphazardly and in hope say, whatever, I'll just believe this. And, and if you're not a Christian, you look in and you think, man, those fools with their blind faith. Uh, I'm more of a rational person. And here I am as a Christian saying, uh, I'm a rational person, a thoughtful person. Uh, blind faith kind of uh, just spits in the face of rationality and, and thoughtfulness and empirical evidence. And, and, and we pit these two against ourselves. Christian, fool by blind faith, and me, rational secularist. I think God cringes at the term blind faith as well. And sometimes we read verses like we just read out of Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. The, we think that this is what God is calling us to. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. We think we're just supposed to leap in without any thoughtfulness. And, and that's why I'm so grateful for the story of Thomas embedded in the hours and minutes of history back in Jesus's life, death, and resurrection because he was not a person of blind faith and God is not calling us to be a people of blind faith. And if you are thinking about Christianity this morning and you're not yet a believer, God is not calling you to some random, hope-filled, flighty leap of blind faith. He's calling you to trust in the historic work of his son, Jesus, his life, his death, and praise God, his resurrection. You know, Thomas gets a, 
he kind of gets a bad word in Christian circles. He, he, he is a doubting Thomas, we call him, right? Like, oh, we kick him when he's down. You, you fool, Thomas. Uh, uh, you shouldn't doubt. I, I, don't, I don't doubt. I'm a Christian. I have sure faith, a certainty, and assurance of everything I can't see. Thomas, you fool, why are you doubting? And we read this story sometimes, and he's the villain of the story. And we read, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's a doubter. I'll never be like him. And we think that's sometimes what God is calling us to. But, but Thomas, man, Thomas is a stud. When you read through the book of John, what, what you see is Thomas, is a, he is a stud. Back in uh, John chapter 11, uh, this is heading into the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, Thomas is there with all the disciples, and Lazarus, Jesus' friend, has died in Bethany right outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus has just been in Jerusalem, and they wanted to kill him when he was there. And Thomas and the disciples are outside of Jerusalem, and, and, and Jesus wants to go back in. Let's go to Jerusalem, let's go to Bethany, and let's take care of Lazarus who has died, and let's, let's show off the glory of our God. And all the disciples are like, no way, let's not go, they're going to kill you, Jesus, which what they really mean is, they're going to kill us too if we go with you. And Thomas speaks up and he says, let's go with Jesus back to Lazarus' house and we will die with Jesus there. <laughs> That's Thomas. He's courageous in his faith. He, he looks at Jesus and he says, I will go in and we will die with you. He leads the charge. A, a couple days later, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's telling them, I, I'm going to go prepare a way for you. I'm going I'm to prepare a home for you in heaven, and it's going to be amazing. And, and Jesus is like, come with me there. And Thomas, he's not just courageous, he's concrete. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, we, we want to go with you, but we don't know the way. Where are you going? And Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Go with me to your heavenly home. Trust in me. And he makes it a bit more concrete for Thomas. Thomas is courageous. Thomas is concrete. And Thomas is a doubter. He won't just take it by blind faith, nor should he. In one sense, right, all of the disciples, right, they're in the same boat with Thomas. It's the, the day that Jesus said he'd be resurrected in Matthew or John chapter 20, verses 19 and following. And what's occurred is Jesus has hung on a tree after a false trial. He, he has been killed. They have jabbed a spear in his side. He didn't budge when they jabbed it in because he was dead. They take him down from the cross. They put him in the grave. They put a whole slew of Roman soldiers in front of the grave. And all hope is lost. And any rational thinker, you, me, Thomas, and all the disciples... Well, they're just full of doubt. They're terrified. Every one of the disciples, right? Uh, we see in verse 19 of chapter 20, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that Sunday morning, the doors, that evening, the doors were locked. The disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And when the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. 
as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. See, uh, the, all the disciples, and Thomas isn't there, we read, and uh, are, are sitting behind locked doors because they're terrified. Every one of them doubters. Every one of us doubters. Believers uh, in Jesus and not yet believers. Clouded with doubt every moment of our lives, right? They're, they're hidden behind these doors because they know he has died and they don't think he's resurrected. And Jesus shows up, and he shows himself to the disciples, and, and they believe, and they're like, oh my gosh. And, the, and then for eight days he goes away in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And listen to what he says, because every one of us has doubt, but it's what we do with our doubt that matters. Every one of us has doubts, but it's what we do with our doubt that matters. L listen to what Thomas does in this moment. He wasn't there with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. If I don't see Jesus, and, and if, if he does not come to me and show me his wounds, then I'll never believe. Do you hear? It's a bit of asking, a bit of invitation to the disciples and to the Lord himself. He's saying, would you come and, and show yourself to me? Because if you don't, I will not get over this doubt. I will not believe. But it, this asking is an invitation. It's a, it's a cracking open the door to the living God. God, show yourself to me. Disciples, my friends, in my doubt, would you bring him to me that I might see and believe? Because if I don't see, I won't believe. I want to see what you have seen. I want to see it your way. It, uh, Court and I, we were heading towards marriage. So we, we did what everyone does. You, you prepare for marriage, right? We took our premarital test and and they came back with some grave results. It said this, uh, of Courtney and of me. It said, assertive, aggressive. That's how we were labeled, assertive, aggressive. And then it also said this thing, uh, judgment-oriented, that uh, there is black and white truth. That's how we see things, right? Assertive, aggressive, assertive, aggressive, and judgment-oriented. So what that has meant in our marriage is explosion after explosion after explosion. It's how we deal with conflict. We talk it through, then we yell it through, and then she says her side, I say my side. I don't listen to her side. She doesn't listen to my side. I'm right. You're wrong. Till one of us says, oh, okay, so how did you see that? Like, what, what did you mean when you said that? Can you tell me a bit more? And we invite, we ask the other to share their perspective. Would you come on in and change the way I see this? Now, I'll tell you truthfully, in the midst of it all, it is a hard-hearted invitation or ask. It is kind of a, a barely a cracking open of the door. What do, how'd you find? How'd you see it? What do you mean? But, but in that cracking open of the door, in this invitation, this ask, the living God steps into our doubts. And oh, what a mighty God he is. And we get closer to the living God. He will transform our minds and our hearts and our lives. Thomas asks 
to see the living God. Thomas then investigates. Verse 26 and following. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, see it again. Even the disciples who have seen the living Lord have locked the doors again out of fear. <laughs> Doubt still lingers. Christian, you may never be done with your doubts. And Jesus comes in and he walks among them, stood there and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, he uses the same words, the same invitation as he talks directly to Thomas. And he says, put your finger here. See my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Investigate. Thomas, what you wanted to know was that same body that hung on this tree and bore that unique scar in my side. Thomas, what you want to know is those same unique scars are on this physical body resurrected, not just in my hands and my feet where you would see the scars of any crucified person, but that stick in my side. You want to see even that mark. Come take a closer look. And Jesus calls him into the historical moment of his death and resurrection because all of our doubting needs data. When we ask the living God in, we aren't just coming to sit around and hum chum. We want data. Our doubt needs data. This isn't a, a foundation of some flimsy feeling. Jesus says, touch my scars, I'm alive, even this unique one. And Thomas, uh, we get the sense he doesn't even touch Jesus' scars because at that moment he, he, he answered him, my Lord and my God. Doubt needs data. You may be doubting God, either as a believer or as one who does not yet believe in the resurrected Savior, you might be doubting, I'll never believe in a God if I have to buy this whole six days of creation thing. I, I'm a logical, empirical evidence kind of guy, and I, I know that evolution uh, is the way that things are done. And maybe you just need some data that for generations and generations, uh, Christians, uh, orthodox, right-thinking Christians, have fallen all over this spectrum of how did God create his world? Uh, but Christians over all time and all generations didn't think that it was just some happenstance, throw the pieces of a watch together and they accidentally came together to make a watch. Know that our, our, our sovereign God was behind all of creation. And if he did it in six days or if he did it over hundreds of thousands of millions of days, our God is the creator. Maybe it's doubt needing to be met with data that opens the door to the living God for you. Maybe you wonder, how could uh, an all-powerful, sovereign, good God allow such brokenness and evil in our world? And maybe it's a bit of data that he is not just all-powerful, he's all-loving, and he's not after a bunch of robots, but he has let us break his creation. And in his sovereignty, is working out a, a sovereign plan to bring about the mending of your life and all of his creation over time. But, but uh, meanwhile, we are destroying ourselves and sickness has marred his good creation until he returns. Maybe your doubt needs to meet data that you can open the door to the living God. That's just what Thomas needed in this moment. 
he said, no way is this guy resurrected. And, and many of us say that same kind of thing. No way is he resurrected. Even as Christians, sometimes we doubt it, right? And, and that is why I'm so grateful for the way that this historic narrative is written with such great detail, and it's a really terrible lie. Uh, with such great detail, right? Uh, uh, as John is writing the book of John about the resurrection, he says things like, uh, me and my friend, we ran to the tomb, and I beat my friend there. And you're like, why did you include that detail? Well, because it happened. And John's probably like, and I'm pretty fast, you know? I beat him there. And you don't include those kinds of details unless you're just telling the story as it happened and you put those in and they're all over, historic details and little details like that. And it's also a terrible lie. If the disciples were to write a story and a narrative uh, trying to make up for the fact that Jesus actually is not resurrected, they would not have written it this way. They would not have made the women the heroes of the story and the chief testifiers to the truth that Jesus was resurrected because women weren't even allowed to, to, to bring their testimony into court. It wasn't accepted. What they say doesn't matter in this time. Uh, certainly, wouldn't they have written themselves more as heroes than as goats of the story? Uh, particularly if they're trying to say, you got to believe me. you gotta say, uh, you got to follow me into what's true. Wouldn't they say, we were pretty awesome? And we knew he was resurrected, and he did. So you should believe everything we say because we know what is right. We know what's true. We are great guys. That's not how they write it because they're not lying. Even extra-biblical literature testifies to the fact that something cataclysmic happened in the time of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, there's this first-century document that says there's this pernicious superstition of this resurrected Savior. These fool Christians believe that their Savior resurrected, and it started this mighty movement. What fools? Which brings me to my next reason I believe the historic narrative, which is no one wanted this movement to start. The Romans didn't want it. They didn't want some new insurrection of Christians following a resurrected Christ. And, and the Jews certainly didn't want it, right? They didn't believe that this Jesus was the Savior of the world. They had rejected him. So certainly wouldn't have the Romans or the Jews just said, here's his dead body. Here's the dead body. And, and squelched, killed the movement day one. But that's not what occurs because that's not what occurred even the disciples who are a bunch of cowards behind locked doors, one of them runs away naked uh, when Jesus is arrested, right? Like, how scared do you have to be to run away naked? These cowards turn into crazy men for the gospel. They, they have seen the resurrected Lord, and when they were running away naked in their fear, now they're standing before authorities all the way to their own crucifixions. Peter is crucified upside down like his Savior. All he has to say is, Jesus was not resurrected. I'm making this up. And they say, fine, you can go. James, Jesus' brother, is on the top of a building, and, and this crowd of, of insurrectionists are saying, just say he didn't raise from the dead. Now, first of all, this is James, Jesus' brother. Can you imagine worshiping your own brother as the Lord and creator of the universe and your Savior? If you've got a brother, that's hard to imagine. 
James is up there worshiping him. Why? Uh, obviously something cataclysmic has transformed his faith. And he's on the top of this building. They're saying, say he's not resurrected. And, and James will not recount. And they shove him off the building. He hits the floor. They begin stoning him, piling stones on top of him. At any moment he can say, he's not resurrected. I take it back. And they would have let him go. And the disciples are not doing this for their own benefit or their own good. They're not some jihadist saying, if I die, I'll be martyred and go to heaven and win it by my good righteousness. No, they are actually over and over giving their lives away for others and over and over again saying, we are wretched sinners just trusting in this crucified and risen Savior. Open the door to the living God and invite him in. And investigate his claims, historic claims, and watch him transform your life. Uh, one of the things I love about uh, doing ministry here in the D.C. area, particularly on the Maryland side, where we are full of skeptics and heady people, is you get to sit across the table from a lot of these folks and just talk about who Jesus is and what he's done. And a few years back, I was sitting across the table from uh, two scientists, and they were both PhDs from Ivy League schools. So I'm like, man, I feel dumb. I'm just sitting there thinking, what a fool I am. And, and all I've got to share is talking about who Jesus is and what he's done. So uh, they're a bit skeptical in this moment. We're just talking through different passages in the Scripture. But God was doing some work in their lives and, and had done some work in their lives through some pretty amazing uh, moments in the birth of their daughter and how he had cared for them in that moment. So they were starting to think, maybe there's something to this God. And I just wrote down these verses, and, and uh, they said, hey, why don't you just send us home with some verses to read? And, you know, they're very heady people. And so uh, I just sent them home with some verses, a couple uh, sermons by some scholarly guys, and, and they listened to them, and they read them. And then I called them three days later, like we had agreed to do, and I just said, uh, you know, hey, do you guys want to get together again for lunch and talk these things through? And they responded via email. That won't be necessary. Uh, we have read the data. Uh, we understand the gospel story. It answers the questions we have about who God is and what he's done. Uh, we've listened to the sermons, and we believe. I said, that's wonderful. I said, would you like to get baptized? Yes, we would. He's our Savior. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? Like, we don't live in a blind faith. Oh, our faith is placed on the, the, the resurrected Savior who bears the scars to show it in real time, in real history, answering the real questions of our lives. And this is just where Thomas ends up. He cries out, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've not seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Have you believed because you have seen me? I don't get a sense that Jesus is condemning him here, but here's what Jesus is doing. He's setting the stage for the rest of us. He's setting the stage for the rest of us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Uh, remember the disciples, right before Thomas's in this instance, they had seen the risen Lord too. <laughs> now Thomas sees the risen Lord. But he says of you and me, if you are doubting, you're in this precipice, you're in this perfect spot that your doubt might drive you 
to the resurrected Savior. You might experience the blessing and the grace and the salvation of our Lord in a mighty way. Blessed are you and me and any who place their trust and their faith in Christ who have not seen and yet believe. If you're a doubter, and that's all of us, Christians and non-Christians, you are perfectly positioned for faith and the mighty blessing of God. This is just what faith is, is it not? That's what we read, right? Uh, Faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old, old received their commendation. This is what faith is. This is, this is uh, not yet seeing our resur- resurrected Savior, yet believing. It's not blind faith because we need to ask him in and we need to investigate the claims. It's not just this oh, feeling and, and hopefulness, this flightiness. This is, this is a full assurance, a conviction that there is a God and this is not my home. And that my Savior has come and broken into history. To transform all things, my life and the recreation of this place. Isn't that what the empirical evidence points to? Everything we see, isn't that what it points to? No one is out there hoping, man, I hope there's no God who's going to set this thing right. Man, I hope this place is our home. It's so awesome here. Look at this past year with COVID and race relations and politics. Woo, I love it. No one's hoping for that. The empirical evidence says this is not our home. The empirical evidence says we have a God who needs to to, to break into history and transform this brokenness and transform my doubt and give me life and salvation and mend all things. The doubter is perfectly positioned for faith, and all faith does is receive the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, and in that we have the commendation of our God. (laughs) I love that word, commendation. It's like when you commend a friend, this guy's a stud. You're going to love him. God looks at us and says, that guy, that gal, he's amazing. He's one of mine. Not because he's amazing on his own. Actually, he's doubting all the time. Not because he's sinless. Gosh, he's sinning all the time. But because he has been washed in the blood of my son. Because my resurrected son is his savior and advocate and friend. I commend him to you. He's a great gal. I commend him to you. He's a great guy because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. By faith, we simply receive. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves. It's the gift of God that no one can boast. It's a logical embrace. So how do we get there? How do we get there? I I think uh, Thomas has laid the path for us. That in the midst of our doubt, there may be the opportunity of our greatest blessing of faith. If, we, if we're either a believer or one who is not yet believing in Jesus, we, we would do just what Thomas did. That we would ask the living God into our doubt, and we would investigate his claims. We would ask him in, and we'd say, living God, would you step into this area where I am just full of doubt, whether as a believer or a non-believer, and, and living God, I will investigate who you are, what you said is true, and I will test it for myself. 
Uh, see, uh, this might be the greatest moment of blessing for you as a, as a believer or non-believer. Because as a, a non-believer, you might be saying, man, I, I have searched all over. I mean, I, I, everything I can see in politics and education and, and my own self-improvement, I, I have tried for the things I hope for, but they keep falling short. Uh, but man, I am doubting that this God might be the way to, to life and salvation and hope and truth. I'm really doubting that. But, but kind of like that, that itch in the back of your back, it just won't go away. And you're like, oh man, uh, but would you in, invite him in? Because on the back end of the invitation of the, to the living God and the, the back end of investigation of his claims, what you might find is salvation. Salvation in Christ. And this, this, this doubt might be the, the, the start of the, the deepest blessing for you as a believer who is wrestling with doubt, and we all are. Because this doubt might press you deeper because the things you see in your life personally in the world around you, they just, ah, uh, they irk you and they're creating such doubt because you know that there is such contrary to the living God who exists. And you, and you know this is so contrary to the home that I'm waiting for. My home is not here. Uh, might you press into your doubts and, and open the door to invitation of our God to say, come on into this doubt and investigate our God in this area of doubt of, of justice and injustice or creation or evolution or, or did he resurrect or not or, or any of these doubts that we hold. How could our God allow such suffering in my life? And as we pray, Press in, invite him in. Might it be the moment of our deepest sanctification and trust in our Lord as he meets you there? So if you're a non-believer this morning, I would ask you to, in your doubts, open the door. Ask and invite the living God in. Now, there's some great ways to do this. Uh, the good book, <laughs> good books and believers. Uh, the good book, good books and believers are the, the best way to investigate your doubt, to ask the living God in and, and investigate what is true about the living God. Uh, right after Thomas's account in this historic narrative, we read in verse 20 uh, or verse 30 of chapter 20, we read, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. Life in his name. When you investigate the claims of who Jesus is, when you read about who he is and what he's done in his death to pay for your sins, in his resurrection to lift you up as his friend and walk with you to your home that is not here, when you investigate it, what you might find is salvation. Ask him in and investigate in the good book, but also uh, maybe pick up a, a good book out there. Uh, good books are really helpful in investigating your doubt. Uh, this one I found just particularly helpful, Tim Keller's Making Sense of God. If you're a Christian or a non-believer, would you pick up one of these as a gift as you walk out on your way out this morning? Uh, we also have a whole bunch of them, so if you're watching online and, and would like to have one of these, you can fill out a connection card and we will get you one of these books in the mail. It's a fantastic book talking about skepticism and a logical faith in our resurrected Savior. Now, if you're a believer and you're full of doubt, 
and you've allowed doubt to linger, I'd ask you to investigate in the opposite direction, where uh, a non-believer, uh, I think it's helpful to go to the book and then good books and, and then to keep coming here and, and meet more believers and even get connected into a community group, right? Like fill out a connection card and, and maybe on the first day as a non-believer you show up and you say, hey, by the way, I'm a skeptic. That's wonderful. There's lots of us here who are skeptics and we're all sorting out our faith together. And, and, and you might be thinking, oh man, a kind of person like me, I'm not welcome in a place like this. We are kinds of people like you, man, sinful people, broken people, finding our doubts met in the resurrected Savior together. So if you're a non-believer investigating faith, would you go to the book and good books and then to believers? If, if you're a believer, maybe go in the opposite direction. First, would you not carry this doubt alone? Uh, many of us think that we're the only ones doubting. Uh, all these people have their faith sorted out. They're so confident and their assurance is so amazing. But not me. I'm full of doubts. Well, you're in good company. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, uh, he says, I don't do what I do want to do, and I, I, don't, I do things that I don't want to do. I, I think what I don't want to think, and I live like I don't want to live, and man, my God. And, and even uh, after that, that passage of what faith is, we read about Moses, and his whole journey is one of doubt and, and, and fickleness and wondering, is God, are you even with me in this? Like, I don't get it. Doubts have lingered in my life and come and, and in greater intensity at moments and, and waned in lesser intensity at moments. So would you do what, what this dad does? It's an amazing moment. This dad comes up to Jesus in Mark chapter 9. And he just, uh, his son is in a terrible situation. And he's possessed by a demon. This demon throws him into fire sometimes, into water sometimes, and and no one can heal him. And in verse 21 of chapter 9 in Mark, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to your son? Can you imagine the doubt in this guy's mind? No one can do anything about this. There's nothing hopeful here. I don't even think Jesus can handle this. And he said, from childhood, this has happened. It's often cast him into fire, into water to destroy him. And he says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, would you have compassion on us and help him? And Jesus said to him, if you can, <laughs> I love that. Jesus says, if you can, right, you're talking to the, the creator of the world, the one who made your son. If you can, all things are possible for him who believes, Jesus says. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Now, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to cling to you in faith here, but would you help my unbelief? See, we, we open up our doubts to other believers as Christians. Then we cry out to the living God and, and invite him in. Man, I, I, I want to believe, but I'm doubting so much. Would you come in and meet me in this time? Then we investigate the good book and good books in that specific topic of our doubt. And do it along with other believers when you've invited the living God into the discussion with his children and other believers. Doubt may be the biggest blessing in your life leading you to faith. Asking him in and investigating. 
who our God is and what he's done. I was in middle school, and uh, I was a little overweight. Uh, my friends called me Muffins. Kind of a nap name. I, I love these huge BJ Wholesale Muffins, and that's where I got the nickname. I'd bring one to lunch every day, and they were huge, and they were chocolate chip. And they put the pounds on. <laughs> and I'm in sixth grade at Harper's Choice Middle School right here in Howard County, just north of us, and that's Outdoor Ed. And outdoor ed is kind of an awkward time for a chunky kid, and so I'm there uh, trying to work on the canoe, right? We're just paddling away, and, and then comes the trust fall. And I'll remember it <laughs> clearly to this day, getting up uh, on that picnic table and turning around, and, and the counselor there standing saying, okay, what you're going to do is on the count of three, you're going to fall back into your friends. And I'm like, do you... You see what's going on here, right? Like, uh, this is not going to go well. And, and so I kind of look back, and I, I ask them, are you guys going to catch me? And they're like, yeah, we're going to catch you. And then I, I investigate them. I'm like, okay. Uh, I, I even see a couple eighth graders in there, you know, because they're counselors along with these sixth graders all on outdoor ed. And I'm like, I think it's going to go great. It's going to be awesome. And so I, I said, okay. All right. And I, I fold my arms, close my eyes, he says. And I said, okay. On the count of three, fall back. Okay, one, two, three, and I fall back. And it's like this moment of bliss. He's just falling right into their arms. Thud, I hit the ground. I mean, boom, flat on the ground, hit my back. I'm like, ah, and I look around. They have all, like, jumped out of the way. And I'm like, sometimes what we see will let us drop flat on our backs. You had better decide where you're going to place your faith and your hope. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Uh, Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3 and following remind us, uh, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. What are we to do? We're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix our eyes on Jesus, knowing there is a God, and this is not our home. <laughs> And he has sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life in our place. Then he dies a sacrificial death in our place. His body is broken. His blood is spilled, but it didn't stop there. On the third day, he rose again to bring us salvation and newness of life and to walk with us until that day he returns here and makes everything the way it ought to be. Till that day when we see what Thomas saw. I love the fact 
that when Thomas sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus in his new resurrected body, he still bears the scars. Evidence that the Son of God hung on a cross in our place, dead for our sin, crucified for our doubt and rebellion but risen to newness of life that you and I might chase our doubt, open the door to the living God and investigate his claims and cling to the Savior. And I think the most common expression in heaven is going to be this. Oh, oh, ah, oh, now I understand. I see where I once didn't see, where I had doubt, now I have Faith and confidence and assurance. I won't even need faith because I've seen what Thomas saw. Blessed is everyone today who, though we've not seen, believes. If you've not yet believed this morning, would you place your faith in Christ? He is a trustworthy Savior. Would you confess you've looked all other places? You've asked all other things. You've investigated all other avenues. And now, man, now you're going to ask and invite the living God into your life and investigate his claims. And, and this morning, would you cling to Christ? If you are trusting in Christ this morning, would you take your doubts right to his door? Would you crack it open and say, God, come on in, please. Would you meet me in this doubt? Would you investigate his claims along with other believers? And, and would you look at the good book of, of who Jesus is and what he's done? And would you read good books and the topics of your doubt? And would you pursue the living God because he has pursued you in the life, the death, and the resurrection of his son all the way to your salvation, now sanctification, and is driving you you deep in a sure assurance of who he is and what he's done and every week we remind ourselves we're not built on flighty feelings we are built our faith is in the resurrected king jesus whose body was broken whose blood was spilled in real history in real life to give us salvation now and bring us into our eternal homes with him.